Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Seeking a Path to Safety. How law enforcement, mental health providers, government, and family play a role in stopping mass shootings in America. Here's our host, Amanda Dixon, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on this conference Saturday to look at such an important topic. Seeking a path to safety, not only in our schools, but in our churches, in our theaters, in our public spaces. And I have three wonderful guests who will help us look at this very important issue. And we start with the Commissioner of Public Safety here in the state of Utah, Keith Squires. Thank you so much for coming, Commissioner Squires. Hello, Amanda, and thank you for having us here. Also, I'm delighted to welcome uh, opinion editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, is here. Hello, Boyd. Great to be with you today. Thank you so much. And I'm so pleased to see again the Director of Child and Adolescent Therapy with Wasatch Family Therapy, Claire Melantine is here. Hello, Claire. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming. We see a week or so ago the students from all over the country who were protesting uh, about uh, the shootings in their schools. And I think, Commissioner, about these kids who really have never known a time right. when shootings weren't a thing in their schools, which is hard for me to imagine since I grew up in a much different time. So they are calling out for us to do something, and they want to do something themselves as well. But from your area, from law enforcement, what can we do? Well, I think it's great that they are recognizing their voice and having an opportunity to speak up and be engaged and be involved um, you and I did have the luxury of growing up at a time when our parents entrusted us to the teachers and the school administration, and they felt confident. We felt safe. Um, but that has changed. I mean, just unfortunately because of the fact that there are some individuals who are going through whatever is happening in their life, and it doesn't matter whether they're in a city or in a rural community, um, there's just so many pressures and motivators that uh, we just never know where this tragedy might strike. And so everybody's on edge because of that. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, the beauty of what's happening right now is actually the fact that people are engaging. And it's not just being driven by law enforcement and the you know, ex expectation of just law enforcement to fix this problem. Um, I really appreciate the fact that we have individuals from different backgrounds, different expertise, looking at the problems, even those that don't agree on issues, talking 
And that's, for me, the big change here and the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. How do you see this, boy? You have so much experience in government and in other places. Speak to me about that. So I, I think the way that we, we really help these students, uh, one, they're so impressive. We've, we've spent time with them. We've listened to them as they've shared not only their grief and their sorrow, but as they've started to recognize, hey, a, a protest march alone is not going to cut it. Um, but the important thing is that, first, we have to get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. So we need to be comfortable having conversations about mental health, about stress and anxiety that a lot of these kids have been under. You, you talk about uh, not knowing a time when they didn't have school shootings. We talk about how none of them grew up without a cell phone. Uh, we also have to recognize they're growing up under immense stress and pressure and anxiety in so many different ways. Uh, and so part of it is making sure we're having all of the right conversations and creating space uh, for the kids in particular. And, and I usually like to call them students, not kids. Yeah. Because yeah. these are—they're amazing. They're really amazing. They and if if they've found they've struck an interesting chord, they're, they really are the first post-shooting group that has found their voice. And they've enabled a lot of other students around the country to find their voice. Uh, we even saw down in, in Salem, Utah, yesterday, uh, yes, a couple days ago, uh, a student led their own town hall. And covered everything from, you know, those who think everybody should have a gun to be safe and those who think all guns should be banned to be safe. And it was a student leading experts from different areas across the board. But anyway, part of it is we, we just have to allow space and be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Safety is an issue. Legislation is a piece of the puzzle. Family, community, uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, the one thing I would say is that the solution to all of this will not come from Washington, D.C. Mm. This is going to start in our neighborhoods, our communities, and at the state level, and with great professionals and great families. What is the mental health piece of this, do you think, Claire? Well, I think that our other guests have touched on it. Like, there is a lot of stress, but I think there's there's unacknowledged layers of trauma that children are exposed to, especially in the school setting. Like, you have it from kindergarten on up where you are doing armed shooter drills in your classroom. And their understanding that I may not be safe in my classroom starts at a really young age. And I think that you have not only that, but then you have these different developmental challenges that, you know, kids are supposed to be going through. But then they do have an undue burden of stress placed on them from society, from a perfectionistic culture that we live in, especially in Utah, to, you know, this drive for perfection in their own lives or achievement. And then you also have so many systemic challenges, especially for people of color and communities of color that we don't talk about. And I think that that goes with Boyd's conversation that we have to be willing to look at how privilege plays a role in this. We also have to be willing to look at mental health. But we also have to remember, yes, these kids are growing up with this. They're also growing up without any regulation in place against the sale of these assault rifles, and I know that just assault, you know, banning assault rifles is not going to be the end-all, cure-all thing. But I think prior to this generation, we did have some limited protections from a federal level, from a legislative legislative level that we don't have now. And I think again, we have to look at this. This is layers upon layers of different levels of trauma that individuals and communities are exposed to. I want, to, I want to take a break. When we come back, Claire, I want to ask you, what can we do, what should we do or be able to do if we are aware of a child in school who looks like he or she, but usually he, 
has a problem. And I say that in quotes because I'm not even sure what that is. And then I want to get your feelings about that as well. We'll be back with more of Seeking a Path to Safety coming up on KSL News Radio. This is Seeking a Path to Safety, how law enforcement, mental health providers, government, and family play a role in stopping mass shootings in America. Here's our host, Amanda Dixon, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for spending some time with us on this conference weekend. We are taking a look at some very important issues from as many different angles as we can think of with my three experts here in studio. Opinion editor with the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, is here. Utah Commissioner of Public Safety, Keith Squires, joins me. And Director of Child and Adolescent Therapy with Wasatch Family Therapy, Claire Melantine, is here. And when we looked at what happened in Parkland, Florida, but not just in Parkland, so many times they'll say, There were warning signs. People knew there was something wrong with this kid, but they couldn't, didn't, should have, didn't, missed. And what is there anything, Commissioner, that we can lawfully do, should have done there and in other places? Are there things we can do under Utah law that would protect us that didn't in a situation like that? Well, uh, great, great questions. And the one thing is, is that we're always looking to see if there are gaps, if there's something that we're missing that uh, gives that law enforcement officer who's there at the scene um, an opportunity to do more. Uh, I can tell you just from my experience in my career, the times that um, somebody who may be doesn't ha- maybe doesn't have a history of mental health issues, but is going through a crisis at this time that uh, has some influence in their life, and you know that they're not who they normally are and upset, but yet you don't have any legal tool to be able to take firearms away from them. Um, I've left the scene, you know, in the past frustrated and just hoping that I don't hear another call back to that address. So those are the kind of things that I think are valuable and long-term. And uh, with uh, uh, was Representative Handy this year that contacted me who was interested in some ideas, and I shared with him um, what's sometimes referred to as red flag laws, but uh, other states have implemented. And we look specifically at uh, the state of Indiana, who had one that I thought uh, fit well with our needs here in Utah. But those are things under those circumstances that, if enacted, may give law enforcement more opportunities to intervene. And there are checks and balances in play. It's like getting a search warrant. You have to make a case to the magistrate and then him make the determinations. But uh, these are things we have to look at and consider that we haven't in the past. Is that This is the situation that four or five other states have where where it's almost like a protective order, right, that you can go in and take the guns away for a brief time, and then there have to be another hearing later on where maybe things have cooled down, or maybe they haven't, but where you can take guns out of a person's possession for a limited time because the blood is too hot or something's going on or or whatever. That's the kind of law you're talking about? It is. Hmm. Are we going to look at that again here in Utah, do you think? I, I hope so, and uh, all indications uh, from Representative Handy and other legislators is that interest, and it's also something that we're discussing uh, with the 
Utah Safe Schools Commission that I've been asked to participate in. Yeah. 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 Speak to me about this. Yeah. It, it, this is actually one of those uh, that is getting some traction on the national level as well, which is which is very encouraging that uh, you can have a due process uh, so that you're not just confiscating and you know creating all kinds of other issues. Uh, but this is one, again, it's an uncomfortable conversation we have to be willing to have uh, to say, hey, I'm, I'm really worried about this person and I know they have access to a weapon. What if they're a neighbor? Yeah. That's right. Well, what if they're what if they're like a, a friend of mine, a, a friend of my son's at school? What do you do yeah. then? I, I think it's the same. It's the same kind of thing that there are processes and things that I think can be developed that again can protect due process and again create space for the right kind of help to be delivered. Interesting, even historically, uh, everyone's pretty well aware of the fact that President Abraham Lincoln struggled mightily with depression, uh, and there is one account of his friends actually taking away the guns and knives because they were concerned about where he was mentally at the time. Uh, and so this is, this is not new. This is not new. I think we've forgotten about it. And, and uh, I think Claire brought it up uh, during during the break that it's it's a sustained conversation that we have to have. We're, we're really good at moments in this country. We rally, we come together, we protest, we raise money for victims and survivors. But we need to have a real – a real movement requires us to have a continuing discussion about these things and get the right balance and the right things, again, from law enforcement to health care and everything in between. That just stopped me. To think about, you know, if it could happen to President Lincoln, maybe it's not the worst, most un-American thing. And and making that okay to have to be able to then go and get someone like Claire who can deliver some help and not have the stigma. Say, look, if if President Lincoln had to struggle with that and there's hosts of other (laughs) great examples and people coming forward, uh, football players and so on saying, hey, I struggle with depression. I have anxiety. We have to make that okay as well. Otherwise, no one's going to get the help they need. So what, Claire, about – uh, uh, not just a child, but if it's a child or a neighbor or someone who everyone knows there's something wrong here, what right. can you do? Well, right now there's not a lot that you can do. Um, you can have the police do a welfare check to make sure everybody's safe. But again, unless somebody's in imminent danger to themselves or others, they can't do anything. And as a mental health professional, like I think, you know, a lot of the mental health professionals and teachers, especially with this most recent school shooting, have been demonized in the media. Like they let this kid, they failed this kid. But realistically, legally, there's not anything you can do until they are a present danger to themselves or somebody else and they're an imminent threat. And you can be surrounded on a couch with all the guns in the world. And if you say, no, I'm not going to shoot somebody and I'm not going to hurt myself, there's nothing anybody can do. And so I think this goes again to like where we need to have some systemic changes take place. But I think this is part of the uncomfortable conversation where it's uh, where you need to say to somebody, I love and care for you enough and I feel worried about you enough that I am going to call the police. Because I care about you, because I don't want you to get hurt, because I don't want to be hurt. And this is from a place of caring about you instead of trying to hurt you or criminalize you. Can I ask you in a general way? And I know we have to take a break and we'll take a break in just a minute. Can I ask you in a general way? Of course, you couldn't speak about it. Pert. When, when you talk to or counsel people who have violent anger issue, is that something that you can help them with in a, in a real way going forward that they can let go of that kind of tendency or behavior? Yes. Um, I truly wholeheartedly believe that. And it's also not easy and it's not a short fix. 
And that's something that's also a systemic problem, especially with managed care, where you're given a limited number of sessions or there's limited resources for that person. If you've had a lifetime of trauma and a lifetime of violence either inflicted upon you or you inflicting upon others, 10 sessions with a therapist is not going to fix that. And this is something that needs much more, many more resources and long-term work and support for that individual and for the community that they're involved with. You, we re- talked for a minute about guns uh, a minute ago. I'm taking a break. When we come back, I know a lot of people who have purchased a gun in the last year. And I want to talk about arming yourself, arming teachers, arming others with my guests on Seeking a Path to Safety on KSL News Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Seeking a Path to Safety on KSL News Radio. Such a pleasure to have these people with me here in studio. Utah Commissioner of Public Safety, Keith Squires, Director of Child and Adolescent Therapy with Wasatch Family Therapy. Claire Melantine is here, and the opinion editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, joined me to talk about this most important of subjects, seeking a path to safety, and not only safety in our schools, although that is the focus of late. But safety everywhere, safety in our churches, safety in our theaters, safety walking down the street, Commissioner, safety everywhere. We've talked a lot recently about whether or not teachers should be armed. Of course, they're allowed to be armed in the state of Utah, but we've seen other states making moves in that direction. Yes. I want to talk about uh, whether it's a good idea to arm not just teachers, but others. I, you and I were talking during the break about a fellow I heard say, is it a good idea to arm the teachers, the ticket takers, the pastors? The you know, At what point is, is do we get to a point where, where more, more guns may be a liability and not a, not a help? I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, and it, it is a difficult uh, question um, as it comes to teachers and, and even others. I don't like the idea of anybody feeling pressured that that's something that they have to do as part of their job or responsibilities. Um, But on the other hand of that, too, I'll also say that uh, there are some individuals who, under the right circumstances, the right vetting, and I say not only uh, background checks, but also um, to check, you know, how they might handle a situation. And the same way police officers are vetted for, you know, are they emotionally suited for this position and the things that they'd be called upon. Um, Under those circumstances, and then with uh, not only initial training, but ongoing training, I think at those circumstances, you have individuals who are in schools who may be active military or National Guard, things like that, that under this process could be the law enforcement uh, agency in that area they could be comfortable with them. And then you could expand upon that and also have a plan in place that the law enforcement agency works with so they know who in that school is armed, where they are located, how they secure their weapons. And so we know that there's not less chance anyhow of having something accidental take place. I only say that as another option to look at. Should every school have a resource officer? Um, The realities are in this day and age that uh, I'd say – it's a value, especially as you get into the uh, I wish grades. my elementary school had a resource officer. Can I just tell you that? Yes. My elementary school does not, and I wish they did. I, I see it not only for the protection factor, but with the right personality and the right officer, and they become such a part of they that do. school. They hear things. The students trust them. They'll I go love and resource talk to them. officers. <laughs> 
there's opportunities there to prevent something ahead of time that uh, really is the value. And develop such great relationships with those kids that can help them later. Well, yes. I should stop offering my opinion. Boyd, Boyd talk to me about arming uh, teachers and others. Yeah, so so I think the the arms race is not going to be the, the answer for sure, right? It's, it's definitely not going to take us where we need to go. I think we also need to recognize, though, that on, on either side of that aisle, whether you are someone who believes we should ban all the guns or every single one of us should have a gun, uh, if you really boil it down, and I took a group through this exercise. I had the people who want to get rid of all guns go through and, and really boil it down. What's the essence of what matters to you? And I had the pro-gun folks do the same exercise, and they came to the exact same word, safety. Safety was the issue. And so let's, regardless of where you fit on the gun right spectrum, let's come around a culture of safety, even simple things. So we talk about losing these precious students' lives. Uh, in Utah this year, we've already lost a large number to suicide by gun, most of which were not trigger locked and were not in a safe. Uh, in Utah, you can actually get a free trigger lock. It's free. All you have to do is email uh, the Capitol and they will send you a free trigger lock. Uh, I spoke with, with one gentleman who literally got a text in the middle of the night from his daughter who was going to commit – it was her suicide note. And he heard his phone and then he heard her fumbling around, but he had locked his weapons and it made all the difference. And so there is a culture of safety that everyone can get around. Trigger locks matter. Safes matter. Uh, because often it's just because we're losing lives and, and how we lose them. Think about that kid in Maryland, Boyd. Mm-hmm. That kid in Maryland who went to kill his former girlfriend used his father's gun. Yeah. yeah. And that's usually usually the case. And whether that is a school shooting or a self-inflicted Shooting. I think of targeted shootings and random shootings slightly differently yes. in school That's settings. Right. And I, I'm That's sure right. you do too, Claire. But speak to me about arming. So if we lived in an ideal society and everybody was really mentally healthy and fit and we thought that that was a good idea, then maybe we could work with that. But I think that we have to remember – like. The argument that, oh, we should have veterans be armed or we should have teachers be armed or we should have these other adults in their arms, just because they're an adult in the classroom doesn't necessarily equate to being 100% mentally sound. And none of us know how we're going to react in the moment of trauma. Again, going back to the sheriff's deputy that's been demonized for not reacting to the last school shooting and staying outside – psychologically he experienced from what I can view from an outside perspective a freeze response where he literally was unable to go in because he had that paralyzed fear. None of us know how we're going to react. And I think that one of the things that we have to keep in mind, like, again, this comes from a place of good intent. Like, I completely agree with Boyd and the commissioner about this. Like, this is a place where people want to come together of, I want to protect my kid. I want to feel like I can protect me. And you can buy a gun and you don't have to receive any specialized training to use it. You have to have training to get a concealed weapons permit from what I understand. But we don't make people take gun education courses Um, to get any type of a license, like a hunter's license or those things. You have to take a safety course. But just to buy a gun right now, anybody can walk in and buy a gun. You don't have to have any training to have that. And I think that that's the thing that concerns me the very most And I also happen to be on that side where 
I don't want my children to go into a school where their teachers have guns because I know human behavior and human behavior is not always rational. And I think there are students, especially in our communities of color, who are already disproportionately disciplined and at times really overly physically disciplined in schools. And I worry that that could set up actually a culture of violence to continue and be perpetuated where children are feeling more threatened than not already. And again, it's coming from a place of good intent, but we also have to be able to look at this from a systemic viewpoint. And I think that, you know, we have to come together to find a place of what safe feels like. And for some people, they do feel more protected. Like, What I, safe feels like? <laughs> I wonder what safe feels like to these kids. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Do we, you're going to comment on something. Oh, like, no, I, I think it's, uh, it, it is. It's so, it's so interesting. What is it that creates that feeling of safety? Yeah. Uh, we actually had in the opinion pages last week, we had uh, Representative Mia Love uh, shared her thoughts. And she actually had uh, a teacher of one of her children who, who did have a gun. And it made her feel more safe. She had great confidence in that teacher. Uh, and so it is an interesting uh, thing to figure out where is the balance point in all of this in, in terms of safety. And it, uh, it leads, I think, to the, the real important question, and that is, how do we get out in front of this? I, yeah. I feel so often we're, we're parking the ambulance down at the bottom uh, instead of building the fence at the top. Uh, and so that's, that's homes and neighborhoods and communities. And fatherlessness in, a, in America is a huge piece of the puzzle for for a lot of these shooters um, so there there are a host of other discussions that we have to have of how do we how do we get to the front end of this mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that is principle based as opposed to trying to control the behavior uh, mm-hmm. on the back end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you yeah, want to comment commissioner no no, I, I just agree with yeah. him. Because if we wait until – it's almost like it reminds me of investing in education or investing in uh, in prison. Yeah. Who was right. it that told me that about how you put your, put your money here in, in the child, in education, and or you can save money and, and wait for him until he comes to, to the prison? Right. And I think that you bring up another great point. You know, earlier you had said, I wish there was a resource officer at every school. But we know when there's budget cuts, unfortunately, the people who – needed the very most are the first ones to be let go. So what I would advocate for if I had like an ideal, you know, magic wand and I could tell the legislature, like, this is where you should put your money, get a school social worker or mental health professional in every school. Get a resource officer. Who has time to see the students. Right. Because right now we have in many of the school districts in Utah, you have one school psychologist that's over three to three plus schools. And so you're only in the school setting maybe one day a week. And if you have 300 kids in that school that need your services, there's no way you can adequately meet those. How do we make that a priority? Yes. I mean, do you, when you sit on the commission, do you hear, do you hear things like this, Commissioner? I, I do. And I appreciate the fact that uh, we're talking about it uh, from different perspectives. And uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of progress to be had. Yeah. yeah. And I can yeah. say, Amanda, I grew, went to West High School. I graduated from West High School, and we had an amazing resource officer there who I felt was my friend. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it's so interesting because later on in life, you know, coming into my profession, we ended up being colleagues, you know, where he mm-hmm. had kind of shifted his role and is working more in forensics and with children who had been victimized, where mm-hmm. I was treating those children. And, you know, I think that he. He was able to create across communities, across kids, across economics, in our high school, a sense that we could go to him, and he he saw us as kids. Mm-hmm. 
And he wasn't there to be mean. He wasn't there to do anything except be there with us. And I think that that made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Re- really interesting. I, I think to, to Claire's point on terms of, in terms of having the right people there, the other thing is making sure the students know how to access that. Mm-hmm. Again, with this group of 40, these were 40 really leader influencer students that, that we uh, interacted with. Uh, and we asked a question, if you were feeling stressed or at the edge of doing something irrational, who would you go to in the school? Do you know? And most of them did not. They didn't yep. know. And that's where things like the Safe UT app that yes. KSL has done such a wonderful job of promoting. That is that is saving a lot of lives. Every student should and they have that go on to their, their app. Parent? They, they didn't know where to go. They, they weren't sure. Go. I have to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you two things uh, with our time remaining. What should the media do better? And what can every person listening do today? Um, every Every individual thinks... I want to do something. I have no idea. Can I, as an individual, do something? Back in a moment with my guests on Seeking a Path to Safety on KSLS Radio. Seeking a Path to Safety on KSL News Radio. Thank you for this time on this conference Saturday with my three wonderful guests. Opinion editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, is here. Director of Child and Adolescent Therapy at Wasatch Family Therapy, Claire Melantine, is here. And Utah Commissioner of Public Safety, Keith Squires, is with me. As we talk about safety and whether or not we can do a better job of creating a safe environment for our children, for ourselves in public spaces, I can't help, Commissioner, but ask this question. What can we do better in the media? And when I look at myself, I, I don't think I'm smart enough to know the answer to that question. I'm, I'm just too – I'm looking at myself in a mirror. I can't – but so I want to ask you and my other two guests, do you think we contribute to the lack of safety in some way? Can we do something better? Well, I'll say what you're doing right now, Amanda, by having us here and looking at this the way we are and uh, sharing information is is critical to what the media can do to help in this problem. Um, sadly, we do get wrapped up each time a tragedy occurs in the sensationalism of it. Every seems like uh, outlet trying to compete with each other to you know advance the information and and get that jump on it, which really for those who are involved with it, um, I always look at it as there's people who will see a tragedy like that today and they will say, well, I can't imagine how that could ever happen. But yet our brains, when we see something that we haven't seen before and it's traumatizing imprints on us. And so down the road now something's changed in their world and they're thinking, I need to react out, and this is something they've seen sensationalized, and I'm fearful that uh, too often that drives copycat activity. So so what would you have us change? Would you have us report? Because I don't think that we're ever going to stop reporting on what happens, and perhaps we shouldn't. But would you have us report on it less? I think, Or not at all? I think it needs – well, we obviously need to report so that people can have that awareness. But I think if that transition can go from the sensational part of the violence that took place more to the remedies and remedies. The discussions. This happened. What can we do yes. to – all right. Boyd, speak to that. So I think from a media standpoint, uh, obviously the uh, 
the issues in, in terms of sensationalizing it and copycat is one component. I think there's a, another complete level of thing that we're, we're all responsible for us, and that is you have groups on both sides of this issue, from the NRA to the anti-gun lobby, who have raised millions of dollars off of this tragedy. I know, and, and I don't happens, know how to stop that. <laughs> it happens over and over and over again. And what it does is it, it creates more of a divide and less of an ability. We have loud and strident voices on both ends of this issue, and it prevents us from having the conversation that would solve the problem. Well, what can so, we do about so, that? So part of it is to not engage in the contempt portion. A lot of people talk about us being too divided as a country. We're a political polarization problem. We don't have that. The problem in this country and in our communities is a contempt problem because contempt is the belief in the worthlessness of another person. And so if I believe that you are worthless, then I can say whatever I want about you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram because you disagree with me. Mm. But that kind of contempt is what leads to the kind of shootings and the kind of violence that we've been watching. And so that starts with each of us being responsible for what am I saying and what am I putting out there. Uh, I also think it's important for the media to recognize the components in terms of movies and video games and things that, again, reinforce violent behavior and contempt, that belief in the worthlessness of another human being. That's beautiful. Uh, Please, Claire. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, one of the things I've appreciated in recent times is what the media is doing is less of – is less giving attention to the perpetrators and more giving attention to the victims mm-hmm. and survivors of these events. And I think that that is very, very helpful to decrease the prestige of carrying out these mass casualties and that can help decrease some of the copycat behaviors. But what I think that, you know, we need more of is things like this where we are coming together in different voices and different perspectives and coming together and helping the community heal and feel a support of unity because I think, you know, really what comes down to the root of of all of this disconnect that people in our country and in our communities are feeling is there is a lack of community connection. There's a lack of community caring for one another. And I think when you feel isolated and lonely and angry at the world and you've been abused and battered and mistreated in every way, it's really easy to engage with the world and exactly what Boyd was saying with contempt because you feel just as worthless as you view other people. I've left us a minute. What can I do today? I think continue these conversations. I think what, you know, KSL and other um, media can do is give resources on your websites, let people know, do shows on mental illness and give resources and places and resources for the community and as well as provide forums for community healing to take place. What can someone listening do today, Boyd? Never underestimate what one person can do. Yes. What can someone... Walk up, take action, say hi, engage, notice if someone's alone. Uh, the, The students at West High did a walk up, 17 acts where they walked up to someone and either said thank you or brought them into the circle or into the group, do something, Beautiful. do anything. Commissioner, what can one person do? Um, what we saw at Parkland and, and other tragedies is those indicators that uh, up front that somebody observes where somebody's acting out of character and experiencing some sort of trauma or saying things that shock the conscience and that report those. 
and uh, get that information out to where um, professionals can intervene in advance and be able to help them. And also, it's important that uh, we pay attention to um, what's happening as far as laws in our legislature and get involved and uh, make sure that uh, what's being passed represents how you feel about how you want things to be in your community. Thank you for making the world a better place, all Thank three you. of you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Seeking a path to safety on KSL News Radio.